Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The GOP minus Trump debate one last time before the primary starts. And did anybody actually showcase a roadmap forward for America? Also, in the last 36 hours, we have Biden saying that he wouldn't have actually been running or won't run if Trump doesn't run or didn't run. Harvard, MIT, and Penn leaders, they refused to just simply condemn anti-Semitic actions on their campuses. Biden clearly was hiding his email aliases. And also, Rep. James Comer details not one, not two, not three, but dozens of alleged payments between Hunter Biden and Joe Biden using those infamous shell companies. Oh, and then, lest I forget, Biden also hints at American troops going to fight in Ukraine. And, and because I, I, I almost forgot this, too, um, Speaker Mike Johnson stabs Republicans in the back because who didn't see that coming? All of that in the last 36 hours again. I'm Andrew Coppins, and this is Critical Thinking. Good Thursday to you all. I hope you have been having a good week. Please make sure you follow on the socials. I am on X and Facebook at The Coppins Show. You can find me there, uh, tweeting away about the various things that come into my head. Um, throughout the day, whether that's sports related, my Badgers, my Packers, uh, my Brewers, not so much my Bucks because I could care less about that. But uh, you'll see me, you know, tweeting away about sports, politics, life in general over there. Um, but beyond that, we really appreciate it, Pat and I, because Pat is also working behind the scenes, just not on the physical airwaves or or your video waves whether you're watching on x or a rumble channel rumble.com backslash critical thinking the simplest way you can subscribe to the rumble channel you can make sure you're following on x you can make sure that you are either hitting the the add button or the subscribe button make sure that your podcasts are set to download that's it. That is the easiest and simplest way that costs you zero money to help grow this show. That's it, folks. So we would greatly appreciate this in the holiday season. Make sure you continue to download, rate, review, subscribe, all of that wonderful goodness. But we ask this very simply of you. Tell one extra person about this podcast at your holiday parties or whatever have you. Tell them about this show. Physically make them download the show physically make them subscribe or watch a video or whatever have you. Now, with that all having been said, I think it's also important um, that we just start 
diving right into today's program. We have a lot to talk about. Obviously, the GOP debate last night, which I'll, I'll say this. I did not watch it in its entirety. Um, I saw the clips. I followed along on Twitter. I was in a uh, meeting that I couldn't get out of and that lasted basically 90% of the debate anyway. And so here's the rub. Most of what was going to be said on that stage we would hear about and most of it in context. And if I had a question on context, I had it on recording so I could go back and try to find that moment and, and search it out and nine times out of 10, no problems. But I, I wanted to start with kind of an overall takeaway. And as I was going through the clips and, and then watching bits and pieces of the debate on the recording, I, I came across Jenna Ellis's uh, X feed and a post that she had made. And it perfectly sums up exactly what I thought overall on this debate. And she noted the following about the debate. Ron DeSantis was the clear and runaway winner. The GOP could not ask for a better, more solid conservative candidate who understands and implements and racks up wins. Vivek Ramaswamy spoke uncomfortable truth. Nikki Haley was absolutely crushed and destroyed. Christie rightly called out Trump for running a campaign on retribution. But while running a campaign on retribution against Trump, thousand percent couldn't agree more with that. One of the things I wanted to talk about kind of up front here is also Vivek going after Nikki Haley. What this indicates to me is that the Trump campaign wants Haley out of the picture. They see her as a real threat and they see her as an increasingly big threat. But they also know that she is very vulnerable on things like China, on things like trade policy, on things like the war efforts and warmongering and neocon war thought. Vivek hit her and hit her tough on this. And this was the end of Nikki Haley last night. I want to say one thing about the tie to Ukraine, if I may. So foreign policy experience is not the same as foreign policy wisdom. I want everybody at home to know that I was the first person to say we need a reasonable peace deal in Ukraine. Now a lot of the neocons are quietly coming along to that position, with the exceptions of Nikki Haley and Joe Biden, who still support this, what I believe is pointless war in Ukraine. And I think those with foreign policy experience, one thing that Joe Biden and Nikki Haley have in common is that neither of them could even state for you three provinces in eastern Ukraine that they want to send our troops to actually fight for. Look at that. This is what I want people to understand. These people have, I mean, she has no idea what the hell the names of those provinces are, but she wants to send our sons and daughters and our troops and our military equipment to go fight it. So reject this myth that they've been selling you, that somebody had a cup of coffee stint at the U.N. and then makes eight million bucks after, has real foreign policy experience. It takes an outsider to see this through. Look at the blank expression. She doesn't know the names of the provinces that she wants to actually fight for. Now you hear the mix of booze and chants in there, and and the booze are coming directly from the, the crowd, the small crowd of Nikki Haley supporters. And by supporters, I mean like writing check supporters um, that are in that audience. So 
I thought that was great. I mean, look at the look on her face as Vivek talks about you couldn't possibly name. She is literally just dumbfounded. She's got nothing, no comeback, no way to stop him from speaking at that point because that's how this debate was was set up. And by the way, I thought Megyn Kelly actually did a really good job at this debate. I thought this was actually a productive debate. And I think it's partly because you don't have nine people on the stage and all of those things, but also because these people came prepared. They came ready to ask pointed questions. I thought it was overall a very informative moment for this debate. But why do I agree with Jenna Ellis about Ron DeSantis being the clear runaway winner? So I asked a question in the intro of this show. Did anyone showcase a roadmap forward for America? I believe that Ron DeSantis did so, and he did so in two important ways. He showed us whom he would like to follow in the footsteps of and highlighted very well for us the things that he has already accomplished and wants to take, model, and move forward to the federal level. So first off, I thought this answer was enlightening for me. When people are often in the GOP debate stage, when they're asked about, you know, your favorite president or whom you would emulate or this, that, or the other thing, Lincoln, you've got um, George Washington, Ronald Reagan, is a, is a, those are boilerplate answers. Ron DeSantis had a very interesting answer to this. Uh, Reagan, Washington, Lincoln, excellent. Uh, one of the guys I'll take inspiration from is Calvin Coolidge. Now, people don't talk about him a lot. He's one of the few presidents that got almost everything right. He understood the proper role of the federal government under the Constitution. We need to restore the U.S. Constitution as the centerpiece of our national life. And that requires a president who understands the original understanding of the Constitution, who has a good sense of the Bill of Rights, and who knows how we've gone off track with this massive fourth branch of government, uh, this administrative state, which is imposing its will on us and is being weaponized against us. So Silent Cal knew the proper role of the federal government. The country was in great shape when, when he was president of the United States. And we can earn, earn, learn an awful lot from Calvin Coolidge. Silent Cal. I think he is one of the best presidents we have ever had. <clears throat> I agree with him. I think he really got the Constitution. I think you can put him in the, the conversation with Washington, who <clears throat> was an important, inspirational president from the perspective of what the office should look like, what its proper role is within the Constitution, within the Articles of Confederation, all of those things, okay? I think he also set the, the roadmap for why we shouldn't have more than two terms, all of that sort of stuff. You can talk about Lincoln and his importance and and really kind of all the things around the Civil War, right? But Coolidge, economically and understanding of the Constitution, it was one of the best presidents we've ever had. I can make the argument that Ronald Reagan was also one of the most corrupt, one of the most um, driven by the deep state presidents we have ever seen the entire iran contra affair right we can look at all of those things and understand that he probably was very intimately involved in it or at least in the authorization of looking the other way 
<clears throat> as all of those things were going on. And is that what we want to model? Or is it really we like the Reaganomics and the the jovial, joking side of Ronald Reagan? Or is it the we love the fact that he took on the USSR and won? And he finally made that Berlin Wall fall. There's a lot of good, also a lot of bad when it comes to Ronald Reagan. We, we have to understand that. We cannot hold him up on the pedestal, I believe, the same way that we could uh, when we look at Coolidge, when we look at uh, Lincoln and George Washington. Now, of course, Lincoln and suspending uh, the, the writ of habeas corpus and martial law and all those things, we could talk about that. <clears throat> but by and large, he did what he needed to do to fight a fight, win it for morality, win it for what was right, and then try to unify this country. Paid the ultimate price for it, and I think that speaks volumes to the success that he had against the enemy. Now, all of that notwithstanding here, what about the roadmap of Ron DeSantis? He gave us a glimpse into how he and the inspiration he would like to draw and where he currently draws his inspiration from when it comes to government. But what about a roadmap forward? Well, I think he did a great job of highlighting the elephant in the not room, meaning Donald Trump, but also himself, what he's accomplished and how he would go forward. Governor DeSantis, Donald Trump would be older on day one of his second presidency than Joe Biden was on day one of his first. You have said Trump is not the same man he was when he ran in 2016. Your campaign is running ads showing Trump confused. And you have said he has, quote, lost the zip on his fastball. You seem to be saying Donald Trump is no longer mentally fit to be president. Is that what you think? Look, he, he is showing, father time is undefeated. The idea that we're going to put someone up there that's almost 80 and there's going to be no effects from that, we all know that that's not true. Uh, and so we have an opportunity to do a next generation of leaders and really be able to move, move this country forward. We also need a president that can serve two terms. Uh, I don't think Donald Trump, I think he's going to have, a, I don't think he'd be, be able to get elected. The Democrats want him to be the nominee. We see that. They are going to turn the screws the minute if he got the nomination, you're going to see it. I think we need to have somebody younger. I think when you get up to 80, I don't think it's a job for that. But let me just respond to some of the things there. Look, uh, the media is making a big deal about what he said about some of these comments. I would just remind people uh, that is not how he governed. He didn't even fire Dr. Fauci. He didn't fire Christopher Ray. He didn't clean up the swamp. He said he was going to drain it. He did not drain it. He said he was going to build a wall and have Mexico pay for it. We don't have the wall. Uh, he did say in 2016 he'd have the largest deportation program in history. He deported less than Barack Obama did when Barack Obama was president. So some of the some of these policies he ran on in 16. I was cheering him on then, but he didn't deliver it. Here's what I can promise people. 100% of the things I promised as governor, I delivered on those promises. I beat the left time and time again, and that's what I'll do for you as president. we got to start winning again as a party. Yes, win the election, but we've got to start getting these issues. I will go in and wreak havoc on this bureaucracy. You will see people fired, and we are going to bring a reckoning for how this government here's, handled COVID-19. Here's the, here's the thing. He's the only one that shows us that he understands how to bring, quote-unquote, the reckoning for COVID-19. I think, if anything, that is the number one thing that 
if we could get to Ron DeSantis versus Donald Trump, put them in a room together and watch, that you would watch Donald Trump wither on. Because Ron DeSantis has started that reckoning within Florida. Ron DeSantis, yes, for the first about 30 to 60-ish days, somewhere 30 to 45, somewhere in that range. Yes, it is true that um, he allowed municipalities to do their own thing when it comes to locking beaches down or doing whatever, right? There were some beaches in some places that were wide open. There were others that wouldn't have been wide open. It was kind of the wild, wild west when it comes to it. And how do we know that the vast majority of these beaches were wide open? Well, because governors like <clears throat> Yabba Dabba Doo Fred Flintstone here in Illinois sent their entire families to the state of Florida while locking us down here. It's one of the biggest things that we talked about here in the state of Illinois is that it wasn't good for his family, but it was good for the rest of us. His family had the means to get the hell out of this state, ironically, while locking our state down. They enjoyed the freedom of other states while the rest of us had to suffer, right? If we chose to not go somewhere else. All of that having been said, yeah, he got it. He eventually said, wait a second, the data doesn't support what the government is telling us, what the CDC is telling us, what my um, Surgeon General is telling us. I need a different direction and took a different direction. That's leadership. That is 100% leadership. It is not about being right all the time. That's an absolute impossibility for those who say, well, Brian Kemp was better and Christy Nome was better. Oh yeah, but let's take a look at Brian Kemp and his ties to the WEF, right? Let's take a look at Christy Nome and her um, ties to uh, Stanford Health and, and all of the things that go on behind the scenes and her kind of corporate cronyism that goes on there. Let's talk about her and the transgender bills. Let's, you know, we could go around and around and around. The point of the matter is this, when it comes to ultimate leadership, the sign of a great leader is somebody who listens, somebody who takes the input and then outputs change based off of those inputs. If you were to put that into a room with unrepentant Donald Trump, Donald Trump who doesn't believe anything that he did, whether that was following Fauci off the cliff, whether that was, you know, 30 days or 15 days to flatten the curve, 30 days, whatever, uh, Operation Warp Speed. But all of that notwithstanding, the point of the matter is this, you put those two in the room and have that reckoning when it comes to COVID-19. And it is, this is the exact reason why Donald Trump is not showing up because he would have to stand and defend the indefensible from his own base, the people who hated what he allowed states to do to their people. Anthony Fauci was one of the worst people for the MAGA Forever crowd. They were standing up, quote-unquote, to the man, right? Except for the ultimate man they don't stand up to, they bow down to. It's why they don't want to put those two people on the stage together when it comes to the Trump campaign, because to do so would be to remind people of all of the worst parts of Trump's presidency in 2020. At the end of the day, we just saw a roadmap, right? We just saw we're going to take on 
the the federal bureaucracies. We're going to get rid of that fourth branch of government. We're going to return to proper governance, and we're going to have a reckoning of all of the people who lied, manipulated, obfuscated when it comes to COVID-19, the jab, all of that. That's a hell of a roadmap going forward, not to mention the other legislative things, right? That's the reality is that we are at a fundamental level of we've got to get the liberty back before we can even move forward on liberty-based legislation. We have got to tear it back down to the basics and then build on a path of liberty. That's the roadmap that we have been talking about here when it comes to reviving liberty, restoring liberty, right? When you take a look at all of those things, what have we been talking about, right? That path of your own personal journey, but a journey that while you are going on for yourself, you begin to become a beacon for others to go on to that journey, for you to become a leader, whether you like it or not, but for you to lead your family, to lead your community, to lead, and it doesn't even have to be in a position of quote-unquote power. You do not have to have a lever of of power from the perspective of being an older person or a town administrator or this or that. No. Leaders are leaders regardless of position. Real leadership is what is needed. And, and I think that that is what Ron DeSantis showed us, is finally... I get it. I understand the assignment given to me, and we're going to execute it. And I have done it in the state of Florida, and I can do it nationally because I understand intimately what it is in the state of Florida, let alone the country. Now, I had mentioned there's a whole lot to talk about when it comes to Joe Biden who apparently was hiding behind aliases, multiple aliases, on the email front. But I want to talk about Joe Biden from Ukraine's front, okay? Um, allegedly and apparently, we're now going to be sending American troops. And this is something that Vivek brought up with the Nikki Haley situation at the debate last night. But this is what prompted... Vivek and others to talk about it. I just did a meeting with the G7, which was one of the issues we discussed. All the European leaders, we are prepared to stay with us, stay with Ukraine, and our European friends are as well. Who in the United States are prepared to walk away from that? I tell you, I'm not prepared to walk away. And I don't think the American people are either. If Putin takes Ukraine, he won't stop there. It's important to see the long run here. He's going to keep going. He's made that pretty clear. If Putin attacks a NATO ally, if he keeps going, and then he attacks a NATO ally, when well, we've committed as a NATO member that we defend every inch of NATO territory, then we'll have something that we don't seek and that we don't have today. American troops fighting Russian troops. American troops fighting Russian troops if he moves into other parts of NATO. Now, he's not wrong in the fact that, yeah, we have that treaty and should we live up to our obligations under that treaty? 
I would also ask, are the other members of NATO living up to their obligations? I would suggest no. Why? Because they're not paying their share of this organization, right? They're not living up to their end of the bargain. Why should we? That's part and parcel of this discussion and problem. Now, he's not wrong about the NATO situation, but what he is hinting at and getting closer to is we have to do X, Y, Z, or we're going to do this. No, 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 no. What he really actually means by this is we're going to, I am setting this this course forward so that we do have troops in Ukraine eventually. So, shh, America, shut up and like it. That's really what he is hinting at because th- as this war prolongs itself and goes forward and forward and forward, and it's at a virtual stalemate on the Eastern Front, by the way. It, there's uh, a couple of really great uh, Twitter f- uh, feeds or X feeds, excuse me, um, that talk about this. Um, I'll have to find it and I'll put it in the, the links in the show notes, by the way, folks. Um, but they literally day by day kind of tell you where troop movements are, what, you know, what are the positions, who's gaining ground, who's losing ground. At the end of the day, when you take a look at this from a larger perspective, from a broader perspective than the day to day, and maybe look at it from month to month or week to week, however you want to put it together, that's what's happening. That's what's going down. And, you know, we we really need to understand that there's a stalemate. And can we just keep spending and spending and spending and supplying and supplying and supplying for abs? No. So the choices are peace. What's the deal there? I don't know the answer. I really don't. I. That's not my forte as we strike a peace deal so that we can stop fighting and spending and spending and spending in a proxy war or do we go from a proxy war which we've loved to fight by the way for my entire life we've been fighting proxy wars all over this 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 globe take a look at what we were doing with funding you know this group and that group in central america right we're going to fight the socialists, but we're going to do it by propping up the enemy to the socialists or the enemy to the communists or whatever have you. Never mind how bad and corrupt and awful that organization is. Look at what we did in Afghanistan. Look at what we've done all across the globe in our history over the last 40 plus years. We've loved to fight the proxy war. We have loved to prop up the enemy of the enemy, right? Regardless of whether that enemy turns on us or is antithetical to our way of life, which is also a question we need to ask about Ukraine as they stamp down on press, as they stamp down on elections, as they stamp down on church, right? As we take a look at all of those things, is this something in in a group, in a people that have what it takes to fight for themselves? And if not, I don't know. I don't know if that answer is let's continue down this road of finding some sort of peace deal. I don't know if that even exists. That's not my forte, as I've said. Or do we fight the fight? Do we go out from a proxy war to a hot war? Is that even something America wants, needs, or should be involved in? I don't know if that answer is yes or no per se. I'm leaning towards no. 
And I lean towards no simply because of this. What actual American interest do we have there? And, and this notion that if we don't fight and don't beat them back there, they're going to take Poland, they're going to take this area, they're going to reconstitute the old USSR. Okay, but what would that tell you about our NATO partners and our allies? That they're unwilling to fight the fight. They don't have the will, the wherewithal, the chutzpah. They don't have any will to, to fight, let alone the, the actual weaponry, the training, whatever have you, to fight this fight themselves. Europe doesn't want this fight. We want it more than Europe does, yet Europe is going to go through a winter of holy hell again because of gas pipeline issues and natural gas and this, that, and everything else, which is largely their supply of electricity and heat in winter. They're going to actually physically suffer the consequences of what's going on in Ukraine, okay? That's what's going to happen. And they're unwilling to fight the fight in Ukraine. But we're going to go first. I wanted to also bring to your attention uh, one other thing when it comes to, well, two other things when it comes to the Bidens. And first up, I wanted to bring in the corruption of the Biden family here. Because we've had, over the last 36 hours, not one but two major stories break that are kind of intertwined. So let's start with the reporting of Sarah Carter. Um, and she notes in, in a story on her website that Biden's email controversy deepens. Aliases, whistleblowers, and shadowy communications. In a bombshell revelation, new records released by the House Ways and Means Committee expose a labyrinth of email aliases and private addresses used by then-Vice President Joe Biden. That's the key to all of this. If he's in a private citizen capacity, yeah, is it corruption? Is it terrible? Is it awful? Yeah, uh, but there's a difference between that and then official corruption, right, where you're using your office to influence when you're using all of those things. That's not just unethical, it's illegal, okay? But she continues saying, private addresses used by then-Vice President Joe Biden to communicate with his son Hunter and key business associates, according to metadata obtained from IRS whistleblowers Gary Shapley and Joseph Ziegler. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Furthermore, according to reports from Fox News, the metadata covering the span of nine years between 2010 and 2019 reveals an astonishing 327 exchanges between Biden and his son, notably during Biden's tenure as vice president. The majority of these clandestine communications were exclusive to Eric Schwerin. I believe I'm saying that correct. If not, I apologize. But he is a pivotal figure described as, quote-unquote, the architect of the Biden family's shell companies. He is an attorney. The emails were conducted using aliases such as Robin Ware 456, J.R.B. Ware, and Robert L. Peters. Now, the Robert L. Peters one is one that we already knew about. House Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer had previously hinted at the existence of Biden's email aliases earlier this year. But what do we know about Robin? Well, and J.R.B. I mean, how dumb do you think the American people are to not know who you're talking about? Joseph, Robinette Biden, J.R.B., Robin, short for what? Robinette, right? Robert L. Peters. That was a known alias. According to reports, the whistleblowers still actively employed as IRS investigators ran a search for Biden's email aliases in their existing files within the IRS, revealing 327 exchanges with Hunter Biden and Schwerin. The metadata access, however, falls short of scrutinizing email content, which is going to be important. That needs to be subpoenaed, and it already is being subpoenaed, by the way. But Schwerin, former president of Hunter's Rosemont Seneca, that's right, he was the president of Rosemont Seneca Advisors, finds himself under the spotlight because in March of this year, During a meeting with the House Oversight Committee, he claimed that he was unaware of any transactions related to the Biden family business and then-Vice President Joe Biden's bank account. He was unaware of payments, but he is the president of Rosemont Seneca Advisors. Now, that assertion is, of course, the White House talking point line, right? That's the line they're going with, but... The House Oversight Committee chairman has subpoenaed Schwerin for a deposition. Um, That was early in November, so that should probably happen in, in January. But the data also reveals a spike in those emails between Biden and Schwerin during the vice president's travels to the Ukraine. Oh, yeah a period significantly coinciding with Hunter Biden's board membership at Burisma Holdings. The information underscores the increased communication between the two during crucial junctures, raising questions about the nature of their discussions and the potential intersection of official government business with family interests. Folks, I'm just going to say this. Being on the board of directors here in, in my high-rise, right? Being on the HOA board here. You know what I can't do? If I controlled 25% or more of an interest in a business, I cannot 
then contract with the board to do business. Why would I not be able to do that? Corruption, right? A laundering of money, right? The, the ethical implications of all of it. It's actually physically written into the bylaws that no business that a board member has at least a 25% or more controlling interest in cannot do business with the board. Or, by the way, a family member, meaning um, a spouse, uh, son or daughter, step uh, stepsons, or other familial relationships as recognized by the government. We cannot do business together. So, for instance, if I owned a plumbing company, right, I cannot contract with the building to do their plumbing work. Why? That's the point that's being made here. Ways and Means Committee Chairman Jason Smith, spearheading the impeachment inquiry against President Biden, asserts that the evidence points to Joe Biden's use of private email accounts with aliases while conducting official business on international trips. Official government business using what? Alias email accounts. Why would that be the case? Because if he uses official United States government email address to do so, those are subject to public records requests. And shh, we can't do that. But I want you to listen to just how corrupt this is going to get here because uh, Rep. James Comer highlights even more information about the allegations of the, the direct payments from Hunter Biden to Joe Biden. President Joe Biden claimed there was an absolute wall between his official government duties and his family's influence peddling schemes. This was a lie. President Joe Biden claimed his family didn't receive money from China. This was a lie. President Joe Biden claimed he never spoke to his son, Hunter Biden, about the Biden's family's shady business dealings. This was a lie. Now, Hunter Biden's legal team and the White House's media allies claim Hunter's corporate entities never made payments directly to Joe Biden. We can officially add this latest talking point to the list of lies. Today, the House Oversight Committee is releasing subpoenaed bank records that show Hunter Biden's business entity, a Wasco PC, made direct monthly payments to Joe Biden. This wasn't a payment from Hunter Biden's personal account but an account for his corporation that received payments from China and other shady corners of the world. At this moment, Hunter Biden is under an investigation by the Department of Justice for using a Wasco PC for tax evasion and other serious crimes. And based on whistleblower testimony, we know the Justice Department made a concerted effort to prevent investigators from asking questions about Joe Biden. I wonder why. The more we learn, it appears the Justice Department was trying to cover up for the Bidens until brave IRS whistleblowers came forward and a federal judge rejected the sweetheart plea deal. Payments from Hunter's business entity to Joe Biden are now part of a pattern revealing Joe Biden knew about, participated in, and benefited from his family's influence peddling schemes. When Joe Biden was vice president, he spoke by phone, attended dinners, and had coffee with his son's foreign business associates. He allowed his son to catch a ride on Air Force Two at least a dozen times to sell the Biden brand around the world. Hunter Biden requested office keys to be made for his office mate, Joe Biden, 
in space he planned to share with a Chinese energy company. We've revealed how Joe Biden received checks from his family that were funded by the Biden's influence peddling schemes with China, no less. The House Oversight Committee continues to investigate Joe Biden's involvement in his family's domestic and international business schemes at a rapid pace. We will continue to uncover the facts and provide transparency about the findings of our investigation. President Biden and his family must be held accountable for this blatant corruption. The American people expect no less. Now, I want to be clear on this. Just because you, quote unquote, didn't know about something, but you personally have been benefiting from it, doesn't mean that you're immune from prosecution of this, okay? that That's number one. Uh, any trial lawyer is going to tell you ignorance is not a defense. Ignorance is not a defense. This also coming on the heels of Joe Biden telling us um, a whopper again, which tells us one of two things, but the whopper being this, he tells the story that he is suddenly a, that he had to choose between lacrosse, playing lacrosse and playing football in high school, right? And he chose to play football. That's an interesting story, kind of, sort of, if you're into sports. Huh, Joe Biden has a little cross player. I wonder what that would have looked like, right? Well, so would the high school that he went to because uh, they did not sponsor lacrosse as a sport for another 32 years after he graduated high school. What the hell is he talking about? All of this is either setting up one of two things. He is a pathological liar, which probably is also true, but also secondarily to that, he is so riddled with dementia, whether that is from Parkinson's or or other things, or just straight up dementia, that he is living in an alternative universe, an alternate universe. And we can't trust anything that he says. We can't know when he's lucid and not lucid. And that's dangerous for our foreign policy in the world that exists right now. It's dangerous for so many other reasons. Now, we got two more other stories. My point in all of this is (laughs) we're supposed to believe that he is either so stupid that he didn't know what was going on or that he's a criminal mastermind. And and I don't believe that there's one side or the other that's necessarily true. It could be that he was somewhat ignorant of the intimate details of the payments, but had knowledge of said payments because Who wouldn't know about the money coming into bank accounts or what bank accounts or this, that, or anything in between. But that he knew of the influence peddling scheme and was intimately involved in said influence peddling. But hey, I don't know what's going on. I don't know who's paying who. I I got none of that. Either way, it doesn't matter. I fervently believe this entire family has used Joe Biden from the days of the 70s when he became a senator to now as their cash cow. They knew that he would have influence and 
and they could use it to move themselves up both the business and economic ladders. And they've been doing it for decades at this point and probably my entire my entire life. The fact that the the sister, the brother, the son and other members of an extended family are all implicated in this tells you that this is a widespread, ongoing, known about thing for everybody in this family. And it's disgusting. Now, speaking of disgusting, we've got two more stories to get to. And I'm going to do this one first. Um, I find some of the grandstanding from the GOP when it comes to campus speech to be terrible. But I also find the answers to questions of anti-Semitism on college campuses from this week to also be terrible. Dr. Kornbluth, does M- at MIT, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate MIT's code of conduct or rules regarding bullying and harassment, yes or no? If targeted at individuals not making public statements. Yes or no? Calling for the genocide of Jews does have, not constitute bullying and harassment? I have not heard calling for the genocide for Jews on our campus. But you've heard chants for intifada. I've heard chants, which can be anti-Semitic depending on the context, when calling for the elimination of the Jewish people. So those would not be according to the MIT's code of conduct or rules? That would be um, investigated of, as harassment if pervasive and severe. Ms. McGill, at Penn, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Penn's rules or code of conduct? Yes or no? If the speech turns into conduct, it can be harassment. Yes. I am asking, specifically calling for the genocide of Jews, does that constitute bullying or harassment? If it is directed and severe or pervasive, it is harassment. So the answer is yes. It is a context-dependent decision, Congresswoman. It's a context-dependent decision. That's your testimony today. Calling for the genocide of Jews is depending upon the context. That is not bullying or harassment. This is the easiest question to answer yes, Ms. McGill. So is your testimony that you will not answer yes? If it uh, is, if if the speech becomes conduct, It can be harassment, yes. Conduct meaning committing the act of genocide? The speech is not harassment? This is unacceptable, Ms. McGill. I'm going to give you one more opportunity for the world to see your answer. Does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Penn's code of conduct when it comes to bullying and harassment? Yes or no? It can be harassment. The answer is yes. And Dr. Gay, at Harvard, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules of bullying and harassment, yes or no? It can be, depending on the context. What's the context? Now, here's what I'm going to say on this, because a lot of people are like, well, it depends on the context, it depends on the context. What the hell are you talking about? What context could could this not be bullying, harassment, targeting? I understand all of that. But you also need to understand this. There are very tight 
legal frameworks that these people need to be careful of because there are very tight legal requirements around free speech. And what do I mean by tight legal requirements? Well, what I mean by that is there's very clear pieces to the puzzle of what constitutes free speech and what you can and cannot do about people speaking on college campuses. Lest we forget that, University of Pennsylvania, MIT, and Harvard are all private, not public, private institutions. So they have different sets of rules around free speech, but those rules are likely much closer to public institutions, which are very broad in their ability. Now, I, just like many other people, absolutely abhor the anti-Semitic intifada from the river to the sea, all of the things that are going on, the, the craziness that has been on college campuses. However, here's a very simple question. Calling for speaking like that, is that protected free speech? Well, it turns out there are very easy legal definitions of it. And in 2019, President Donald Trump broadened the civil rights protections against harassment, bullying, and targeting to anti-Semitic language. Meaning, if you are using anti-Semitic language on college campuses, it is not protected free speech. It is not. Just like if you were to do, um, go on, if you were to go on college campuses and say, uh, kill all the gays, which is abhorrent and stupid and wrong on every level, that's not protected free speech. Prior to 2019, that anti-Semitic speech was absolutely part of the protected free speech or would have to be argued in a court of law. And so I understand some of the route that these these uh, people were taking. Now, they've since all of them, by the way, backtracked. And, and why would that be? Because large swaths of people said, yeah, now nah, we're going to stop donating our money and we're going to stop giving to the billions and billions and trillions of dollars of uh endowment to the university. We're good. Our money is out. Notice how that, that speech speaks volumes, by the way, when it comes to this. But I want to be abundantly clear here. This should be easy for them to condemn, to say, I don't agree with this speech. It is terrible. We have a duty to also look after the constitutional right to free speech, whether we agree or disagree with any speech. And we are closely looking at whether this violates said free speech and campus policies. Now, it is pretty obvious that saying kill the Jews, saying Antifada, saying from the river to the sea, all of those things are direct immediate threats to Jewish students. And we also can see this on other campuses where they have literally harassed, harangued, 
and hounded them to the point of them being afraid for their lives. At that point in time, your right to free speech ends. You have a right to oppose Israel going into Gaza. You have the right to be pro-Palestinian or pro-Hamas uh, all you want and, and chant for Hamas and chant for these people all you want. That is absolutely 1,000% protected speech. Absolutely is. But the second that you say, I'm pro-Hamas and kill the Jews, you've lost your free speech rights from any interpretation of free speech on college campuses. It is the same thing as going onto a college campus and saying, I'm going to murder this person or um, hang all of these people for the color of their skin or do this or do that, right? You cannot go onto a college campus. In fact, you can't go into any place, whether that's public or private in America, and do that because it is a direct assault on a group or individuals. It is the same thing as I have talked about time and time again. This is what I don't understand about how easy this would have been for them to say, we do not support this. We do not condone it. We believe fervently in free speech, but this crosses the line into targeted harassment of groups by protected class. Now, do I believe that there should be any protected class when it comes to free speech? I don't know that I do. I think you have to be careful because it does lead to genocide. It does lead to issues. We've seen this historically. But I always say good speech outweighs bad speech. And if you wanted to get rid of this kind of crap on college campuses, create counter-protest. Create peace and love and harmony and, and show that and show these individuals to be absolute genocidal maniacs. Show that by how you speak, how you portray yourself and watch them go crazy. You win when that happens. They lose the battleground period point blank of ideas, of thought. The problem with this is that these ideas, these thoughts have always led to action, have always been a precursor to genocide. That's the thing we've got to be careful of. When you are calling for it, the next step is immediate action towards it. College campuses should have vast, robust abilities for free speech, but the guideposts are very clear are very clear from a federal law standpoint. It's not even about your policies and procedures. It is about the federal law. You, you want to hide behind careful definitions of this, that, and everything in between. Hide behind the law. The law actually gives you the ability to say, nah, we're not going to do this. The real secret of all of this is that these are all left-wing academics who largely hold a lot of these viewpoints themselves. They just don't want to publicly state it. They don't want to come out either as against left-wing policies or that they actually support left-wing policies. Because to do so would be to expose themselves, period. And they cannot do it. They cannot stand up. 
speaking of not standing up, well, actually standing up, but not standing up, Marjorie Taylor Greene exposes, yes, Marjorie Taylor Greene is exposing Speaker of the House Mike Johnson. The NDAA is complete. I have been assigned to be a conferee on the conference. Here, we're going to follow me. We're getting an elevator. And we didn't get to participate at all. As a matter of fact, the whole NDAA deal was made between Speaker Johnson, Chuck Schumer, and the Hass Committee. Um, and, and people like me, we didn't get to participate. And we were appointed to participate to make sure no money for abortion, no money for trans, uh, for members like me standing up for Americans who are sick and tired of funding the Ukraine war. We, we had taken the $300 million out of the defense bill. Well, let me tell you what the final product is and the deal that was made. So uh, there, the policy is in place that funding is there for abortion travel. The policy is still in place for trans and the military and everything that goes with it. Democrat trans policy, Democrat abortion policy, um, 300 million for Ukraine is back in the NDA, even though I had worked hard to take it out, it's back in. Um, and furthermore, uh, here's the worst news. Uh, it gets a clean FISA extension through April. No change to the FISA court whatsoever. Nothing changed, and that deal was made um, also. So just wanted to give you... Now, when, when we're talking about that clean FISA thing, and that's the real important part of this, this was actually stripped out of the bill originally and promised to be something that would be brought up specifically outside of this. We're talking about Section 702 of the... Um, of I think it's the Department of Homeland Security or whatever, but Section 702 is what we're talking about, okay? That was proposed to be stripped forward out of this because it had nothing to do with the National Defense Authorization Act. The reauthorization of the FISA courts has nothing to do with it, but they, they're they going to shove it back into this and say, shh. And why is it important that they're doing this through April? Because after April, do you think that they're going to want to fight this fight in the middle of an election season, in the middle of primaries, in the middle of this or that? Oh, hell no. But more importantly, what do we know about Section 702? We've we literally watched the Russian collusion hoax, the, um, the targeting of people in Michigan for the Gretchen Whitmer, situ uh, Whitmer situation. We're watching the FBI... Trump up all sorts of different things to surveil American people. We're watching them use priests and clergy and, and par uh, parish officers to go after, quote-unquote, radical traditional Catholics in this country, 60 million or so of us. We can go down and down the line. The point of the matter is this. This is just, you know, this is a guy who got up in front of a microphone this week and talked about how God had told him that there was a path for him at the, towards the speakership or, or not even towards the speakership, towards leadership. And, and at first he thought he was going to be Aaron to the Moses, meaning he would be behind the scenes or whatever, helping to elect, um, you know, put the, the, the head of the group together, right? The speaker would, would, would be somebody that he supports, but then God was really just telling him he was going to become Moses. What kind of BS is that? When Moses stood up for right, when Moses, like if you look at the Bible and what Moses was doing, Moses wouldn't do this to his people. Moses would tell his people, you're wrong. 
In fact, that's exactly what he did. He smited them for their golden calf, for their golden um, worship of, of a false idol, right? That's You've become the false idol. You've literally, again, folks, we've talked about this ad nauseum. The only group of people that hate you, the GOP base, more than the Democrats is the GOP. They literally can't even say, no, we're not doing this FISA situation in the National Defense Authorization Act. We're not doing it. They can't even do basic stuff. They can't even fight on one thing. They cannot fight to reform and change and make sure the guideposts so that Americans are protected much more robustly from the abuses of the FBI and the FISA courts. They can't even fight that fight now when they can, where they got nothing on the line when it comes to, well, if we don't do this, we might look bad come the election cycle. You would actually be able to look good to your primary voters, to your general election voters, when you can point to and say, we've heard you and we've changed the guidelines when it comes to FISA, or we've eliminated FISA, or we've done this, or we've done that. Instead, nah, let's just give Joe Biden everything he wants. We're not going to fight, period. If you're not going to fight now, when will you fight? Oh, is it when you have the presidency, the House, and the Senate? Oh, wait, you did that, and you still didn't fight. This is insane. These last, this is all the last 36 hours, folks. And with that, please be smart, be safe, be kind. Make sure you eat all of your meals. And as always, Matthew 547.